This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Capturing the slap heard around the world. Hanging out at Compton in the early morning hours. Fighting off death at the top of Mount Shasta. is all in a day's work for LA Times photographer Mi Young Chung. That's Emmy winner Mi Young Chung. I pull over and I go, I still see the crowd. I'm like, oh, this is a good sign. So I just ditch the car, block away, and get out with my phone. And I just start running up the street. And I can hear the cars going, oh, they're still going, and the smoke. And so I'm just running up there. I'm going, please, just keep going when I show up. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from all-star pitchers, sports writers, and Tampa Bay team photographer, Kyle Zedeker. We really cherish the responsibility that we have because the, the team job is so much more than just shooting touchdowns and stuff like that. It's hearing those type of moments and being able to be like, all right, well, I'll take that and I'll make sure I get a couple of photos because in case he gets cut, you know. The rest of my conversation with Kyle can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break from my sponsor before diving into part two of my conversation with Mi Young Chung. There's a lot of stuff that comes with it when you're at, like at the times from the daily news or you come up, right? Like there's now you could travel anywhere in the world, you know, expenses, gear, all these things start to change where they're now readily. There are, available. yeah, there are a lot more opportunities at the LA Times. But there's expectations there's, that come I, with that, there right? There are lots of expectations, yes. Yeah, lots of expectations. Just, and, and were you ready to take that on? Because I think that's the thing people forget. When you get called up to the, the pros, mm-hmm. they don't want you playing like you're still in double no, A. No, 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 no. They, they, were, they were expecting it, and I think I delivered. I think I just, I worked my butt off there. You know, I hustled and just did everything, you know, above and beyond. What was that first six months like? It was exhilarating. Oh, also. Because you're young still. You're only in your early 30s. Yeah, I was 32, I think. Yeah. Just just shy of my 33rd birthday. But during that first six months, um, that's when that, you remember that that shooting happened at that Jewish center up in, in Granada Hills? Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Yeah. And so I was there on the ground, right? And I got that really nice shot of the, the line of kids and the cop going coming under the yellow tape. But they ended up using, they liked the photo of David Bohr's picture from the that same th- thing from the helicopter looking downwards. So that's the picture that got, you know, like all the play and stuff. It's like instead of the ground level stuff, I'm like, oh. And I was like the first on scene too because I had just passed it going to the office. And then on, on the scanner, we had police scanners, right? <laughs> I heard like this call about like the machine gun fire at the you know the such and such thing on um, on uh, what's that street on Rinaldi. I go, oh my god, I just passed it. Then the office calls. We had two way radios too. The office calls me on the two way radio and says, "Did you hear that? You know, there's shooting." I go, "I heard it." They're like, "Turn around, get your butt I'm over there." Flipping you, yeah. And literally, I was maybe three minutes away from that thing by that time the shooter Buford whatever the shooter was gone right but I was once I got there right it was eerily quiet and there's like a couple of people I think like student aides or something like on the side like some blood on her legs but everyone was still inside and then little by little cops started showing up 
And then, you know, they kind of cleared and secured. And then the line of kids came down the driveway. Right. And, and by that time, I remember Hans, um, Hans's Gutnick showed up from the Daily News. So we're, he was like next to me. We're kind of like shooting like the same picture of, you know, the kids and the yellow tape and the cop coming underneath. What gear did you have on you, like, at that point to cover? It was, it was like two Nikons. The, at that point, it might have been. Did you have like 308 readily so available? Not, or? 99, 1999 would be, I think, still an F. Three, maybe an F5. F- no, F5. F5s. F5. F5s. F5. F5. Yeah, they came out in 96. Yeah, you had so that. I, I had the F5, I think two F5s. I had a 300-4.5 smaller lens. Okay. It was lighter, you know, like in the, the whole uh, range of like 24, 35, 50. Okay. Fixed focal lens. So you, just, you didn't happen to be carrying a 6 with you or something? Or a no, the, the longest I had, I think, carried with me was maybe a 300 or 28. Right. Yeah, it's one of those random moments you don't know what you. Yeah, but you also you. have you have the teleconverter too if you needed to just slap that on. Right. But yeah, I had the I, sh- I shot that with a three hundred four five. So it was just lighter. I'm kind of running around, you know, just seeing what's going on. If I had to like, you know, run or duck or whatever, <laughs> jump in the bushes and hide. Yeah, and so I was there in like in a, in a matter of minutes, several minutes, six seven minutes. It's like it got swarmed, cop cars, you know, helicopters and. You know, daily news, other media, TV, just everyone just, just just starts showing up. Did you put pressure on yourself to think about goals? Like, I want to win this or do that or travel or go here now yeah. that you're at the Times? Did I put goals on myself when I got to the Times? Yeah. Not really like that, but it was more of I wanted to do some you know worthwhile stories you okay. know stories that were kind of like important to the community and things that i could be proud of okay that that, that was that was kind of goal. it wasn't for me the goal wasn't like uh, i want to travel the world you know okay that that wasn't a goal for me it was just i just want to do stories which i think are worthwhile and important um and you know things that we can share with the community right right so i thought that was what was important more important for me yeah and but the um you know, being at the LA Times with their resources, it was just, um, it was more possible to do that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, it's, they're available. Yeah. Did you, when did you start to dabble in digital? Were you early or were you... Uh, you mean like digital cameras? Yeah. Or um, did you kind of put off on it? No, the di- digital cameras started coming in because I got hired in 99. Because remember what 99 was? Right. Y2K. Y2K. So, um... Like around maybe mid, you know, we had the uh, the the Nikon D1 digital, and then after that, um, for Y2K, a little bit towards, I think maybe like a couple months out, they outfitted us with the the Kodak the DCS cameras. The, the I had the Nikon DCS. Okay. The, the was it the 760 or Some seven numbers? The huge, yeah, the ginormous, ginormous camera. Yeah. Screamed carpal tunnel. Yeah, yeah. So they outfitted us with those and laptops, just in case. Um, you know, we're out in the field. We had, they wanted us out in the field. Massive laptops too. Well, it was the Apple Lombards, the the thick. big, thick, dark plastic covered ones. Right. You know, at that time it was like, you know, the the peak of. 
technology. <laughs> it was the height of technology it at was. that point. Two hours of battery so life. With, yeah, same with the DCS, the big cameras, like the, the giant PCM, you know, see the PCM CIA cards or whatever. Mm-hmm. 512 megabytes. Yes. Fill that baby up. Yeah. And, and then, you know, on a good day, the camera would shoot like continuously like one and a half frames a second. And and that had like a quarter like a quarter second lag on the shutter, which is awful for shooting sports. And there was a magenta cast on all the pictures. <laughs> Try shooting boxing with that thing. I shot boxing with an NC two thousand that we borrowed from the, uh, the AP to go shoot um, a boxing match for the Daily News in Palm Springs, and they needed to transmit it like sent right away. So I borrowed an NC two thousand. Um, from the the AP to do that, and it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was awful. And My an, God! Oh, and another thing too is, if you're photographing boxing like ringside, do not wear white. No, because <laughs> it turns up pink <laughs> afterwards when it's over. It becomes pink. Hawaiian shirts or Hawaiian black shirts sweatshirt. Or yeah, yeah. Do not wear your white new Oxford button down. It'll be destroyed. Oh my God! How did you even get any boxing images out of that thing? It was, it was terrible. It was just you know, you had to like really, really think ahead and like throw <laughs> a punch and just you know react as quickly as you could. The lag it was, was awful. The was lag awful. was brutal. I remember shooting a Lakers playoff game with that, and I couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah, not... those early digital cameras. You try to shoot baseball, oh. like trying to get like a bat on ball or something. No. Just trying to get a bat, a ball in the frame. Yeah, as soon as like soon as the player's shoulder just like just moved, you hit the shutter, you know, and hope, then hopefully maybe you got the bat and the ball in the picture. Oh, <laughs> so bad. And it was single frame because you can't motor drive up, you know, one and a half frames a second. It was awful. no because it only had a <laughs> it only took six frames and it buffered. Oh, oh what a waste! Oh, what a waste! Digital oh back in yeah, back in the days, the early days. But that was, I mean, that was an interesting era, though. Just go, switching to digital after you know, right? I mean, you professionally of lifetime of film to go to digital, and you're like, at, you know, as massive as those things were, you're like, oh, this is like the best thing. I don't have to process film. I can. Is that how you embraced it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love digital. I don't, I don't miss film because back then film was a tool I used. It was, and what we had to do, the way we worked our workflow was because of film. Um, you know, shooting three innings of a baseball game because you had to drive back to get the film process. Right, right. It was just a, it was just the way life was back then. You know, unless you had a darkroom set up at Dodger Stadium or whatever, you know, we didn't. So, you know, three innings, boom, you're Off on the you road. Went, yeah. You know, like uh, football games, uh, like you shoot the first half, you leave at halftime. Grab a hot dog first, and then you leave. <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. Or high school football, high school football, yeah, all that stuff. Bad lit, yeah. And you'd go bail off, yeah. I remember doing half high school football, doing one quarter, driving, go to another game, get the third quarter, yeah. and then drive back. Oh. Right, because they had to get two games in, so that's, you had to do like Buena Park, and then you go to Fullerton, then go to that's Santa masochistic. Anna. So I got to cover high school preps on a Friday were big. Yeah. Yeah, they were. They were. We would, yeah, we would shoot high school uh, football in just really terribly lit stadiums were on film, you know, where you, you could push to 3,200 maybe. Oh, you had no choice. You had no choice. You know, just like golf ball brain. It was awful. And then yeah. with the digital, oh my God, you couldn't shoot past like 800 or something. Oh, no, no. And so you, you had to like shoot it with strobe. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, just, okay. At basketball, high school basketball, we had uh, we had to set up strobes. There you go. That's how it was. Oh, when I got to the LA Times, um, you know, I uh, we had strobes set up at Cal State Northridge, you mm-hmm. know, because that they were our, you know, college, the Valley's right. college, and so we had strobes set up there, right? And you know, it was great shooting, um, you know, basketball game on strobes. Just it's just such clean images. Was and that new to you? Strobes? Oh yeah. On strobes? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it was just the coolest thing. And then, uh, and this, you know, one season we go there. Uh, it's the beginning of the season. I go shoot the game opener. Go, you know, switch it on to do a test fire. And there's like nothing. I'm like, wow. Turn it off. Turn it on again. There's like nothing. I look up. I'm kind of squinting, looking. I get my telephoto lens. And then you see our magic arms, but the heads are missing. (laughs) (laughs) What? During the summer, apparently, there was filming taking place in that gym. Okay? Like a film crew. Uh Uh-huh, right. And they set up their lights up there, and they went to recover the lights. They probably thought the Speedatron heads were theirs, so they took it off the magic arms, probably just took them with them. So someone... Uh, Just packed them up? Yeah, so someone took our strobe heads, the LA Times strobe heads. (laughs) Because they didn't take the packs. No, the packs were chained down. Right. And the magic arms were safety cable too, right? They just, uh, I'm I'm assuming the the heads were uh, safety cabled as well, but the heads were gone. The packs were there, the arms were there. Holy crap. Yeah. (laughs) So I wanted to share that with you. Whoopsie daisies. I mean, that's crazy, but it happens. (laughs) Riggers, they get up in a catwalk, they'll take everything. Uh, yeah, like if it's like, oh, yeah, hey, that looks like uh, movie stuff. Just take it with us. Take it. Yeah, and then the guy's checking in going, who the hell packed four Speedo heads? Yeah, so, you know, so you know, we, we, I told that to the office. The office got in touch with, like, the sports um, uh, department, and they called the movie crew, and the movie crew said, oh, they don't know anything about it, of course. And right. So, you know, and what do you do? Oh, we got four heads right here. They yeah. just We're waiting. Did... Did you start to use uh, strobe lights and portraits a lot or stuff like that for the times when you were doing early? Yeah. Um, I was using the, like, like the Normans, like the, those are such awful lights because <laughs> sometimes they would fire, sometimes they wouldn't. And it was before the pocket wizards were used, like these, the quantum remotes. Mm-hmm. It was so awful. So a lot of times you would just use long sync cables. Right. You know, you plug it into the camera and tape it so it doesn't pull out and, and you know your your distance was limited by how long of a cable you had. So I, I shot a lot of, did a lot of portraits with strobes. Did you like that? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Because you're a tinkerer. I right lo- now, I mean, you're still. I'm a, t- I'm a tinkerer. I loved uh, doing that stuff. You know, right. Just visually seeing how you can sort of can like jazz something up, give a viewer something interesting, something maybe they scratch their heads and they go, "How did you, how did they do that?" You know. Yeah. That type you of thing. you wouldn't feel bad being locked in a, like a a workshop for a weekend, and you oh, would God, have a no. great. I time. would love it. I would yeah. love that. I would love that. Because I remember you're you're building this, you're doing that. I'm well, trying this. Well, my tinkering aspect that's kind of come over now, my a new hobby of like you know woodworking. You know, just doing doing stuff with your hands, which is right. you know uh, is very rewarding actually. Oh, absolutely. Years of like pushing pixels around you know, on a computer <laughs> and, and a camera. It's actually it's great. You know, working with you know with wood and saw. Power tools. Oh, yes. No, no manual labor here. No, power no. tools. Power man. tools, baby. <laughs> Plug it in and go. No, there's just something just sort of satisfying and very primal about sitting there like cutting wood. 
But don't you feel great afterwards? I do. It's like a sense of accomplishment. You're like, you built, built something. I made this box with my hands. Yes. I am a man. <laughs> Hear me roar. <laughs> Why did you do the whole thing without your shirt on, though? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so at the times, you know, were you just like, those now four or five years in, are you just living the dream? Are this is are you? Yeah, are yeah. you happy? I'm I'm very happy at the times. Yeah, yeah. Tom um, doesn't call you and ask, "Are you happy?" No. Um, at the valley, a couple of times, and uh, in, in an instant or so, I just felt like it just, I was getting a little bit burnt out there too, like you know, just being limited to the valley. And then, in a year later, year and a half later, they wanted everyone to move into the downtown office because they were closing the bureaus. Because you know, right, everything time, was getting yeah condensed, condensed and stuff. So they moved into us into the main office, and that was great because you know all of a sudden now you're just doing your um, had greater opportunities, kind of like doing what you know what the LA Times does. Right, go for it. Yeah. What was the discussion? But there's also but there's also a lot of pressure too. Um, because you're just surrounded by some, you know, great photographers. So there's all this pressure on you to well, do right. the, to the, do the best, to work hard, and just and always just try to, you know, be creative and make you know unique, interesting images. So two years in, right? So like September 11th happens. Mm-hmm. Were you, you know, in the Iraq War happens in those first couple of years? Were you ever one of those guys wanting to raise your hand and go? Because no. you didn't have war experience when you were the Daily News. No, and I'll tell you why. Because when when I got older, I just realized that's like something I didn't. I didn't want to put my risk myself, put myself in danger like that. Just getting older. When I was younger, when I was in college, <laughs> I was in college. I was talking actually yeah, with Todd Bigelow. Mm-hmm. I was chatting with Todd Bigelow, and when we were both in college, because we both both worked on the sundial back in the mid eighties, we're like, "Hey, you want to go to Central America and cover the uh, the you know the the Contra El Salvador? Yeah, yeah. El Salvador. Like we really thought about going down there. You know, we were just blue flames, just you know, <laughs> just go. Yeah, just naive blue flames, and we just wanted to go. And then eventually, like you know, sanity took over. You know, took over, and we're like, "Yeah, maybe it's not a good idea or safe to go down there," because we read when you're grown up, you read about all these stories how like a lot of great photographers they made their name and mark covering you know conflict. Right. Some of the you know the the, the greatest photographers, you know, they made their name covering the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. So we're like, hey, maybe you know, maybe we need, we got to go cover a conflict. We work with one of them, Nick. Right. Nick, like yeah, you know, he, yeah. you know, all those guys. Yeah. Yeah, great stuff. Knockways, yeah. you know, covered all his things. Dave, David Kennerly, yep. you know, he's still there. And, um, you know, the the late, great Eddie Adams, yep. you know. So all these guys is just. So when that comes when that comes forth, you're not raising your hand to be like, I would love to spend the uh, summer I wouldn't, in Iraq. I, I wouldn't volunteer, but if they asked me, I think I would have a long talk with them about it. It's like, yeah, maybe, you know, just find out what the guarantees, you know, safety, what kind of protocols and uh, system safety system that we have set up and i would probably question them heavily but you know just getting older it was like you know covering conflict was just for me it was like less and less important and see you're only in your early 30s you yeah. make it sound like you're 55 at the time i mean so at 33 you're already starting you, to think like yeah even at 33 i'm I mean, not blue flame yeah you're at 33 no no i'm, I'm blue flame locally I'll, right I'll, locally I'll, not I'll stuff not in a war zone not in a war zone yeah, and because I don't, I don't really have. I don't think I have a personality. I don't know. I think with your complexion, you'd look good in camouflage. 
There was a picture of me in camo because um, I did a story on uh, the uh, ROTC program at Cal State Northridge. So we're, they did it at Vandenberg. So you see me with uh, in camouflage and stuff and holding like an M60 machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that must have been a sexy photo. That's good stuff. Yeah, That's but... good stuff. But, um, so you didn't want to jump on no, that? No, no. Because I think, I, you know, for me, I think, I thought that there were other people who personality wise or for whatever reason, you know, maybe they would be better. Right. Better Cause choice. I saw the piece you did with Lewis and Robert and Rick, you know, when they went, it was like 20 year later reunion. Yeah. 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 Kind of yeah, yeah. retrospective. Yeah. You know, and you could see like, I, I've had Lewis on, it affected him, you know, you could see that it affected Rick yeah. and, you know, and, those are those are really tough things to shoot and be involved in. Mm -hmm. Your life's you know yeah. always in the line. Don Barletti was on. Yeah. He was talking about how he finds out he wins the Pulitzer in a foxhole yeah. in Iraq. Yeah, he's getting bombed all over the place. We were on the we were on the phone call there. Where the staff was gathered in the newsroom when that call happened. Yeah, and I was like, hey Don, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm in a foxhole trying to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Thanks for waking me up. Oh, sorry, wrong number. We were just sorry. <laughs> Yeah, like that was just that's just got to be really a tough situation yeah. for you to say no, and you don't want to say no, you know. But also, you have to, I think, really think about: is this something that you think you're cut out to do, right, or you want to do? Well, you don't want to go there and be a liability, exactly, right? That's it, right? You were young in your career. You're at the Northridge earthquake. Your head was other places. Other places. You, know? you can't be doing that in a foreign country trying to cover Marines who are getting shot at, and you're thinking about, boy, I'd like to go to Cantor's right now yeah. and get myself a nice, nice sandwich. Pastrami. <laughs> and then also, it's like I would have to tell my parents what I was going to do. And they just, I think they would have just, you know, just died inside, you know. I don't think my mom could have uh, handled the idea of me, like, you know, going to like a, a conflict zone. Right. So that's interesting to think that you 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 were thinking of your parents. What a good son you are. Well, I mean, I think you, you know you have to think about the people around no, you. No, you do. You do. Yeah. Because it will affect them as well. Even if you say I do want to go. Now your mother and father for the time you're there are worried they're sick. Just gonna, yeah, they're just like just be dying on the inside, you know, the, every single day. Like, Send me an email. Or let me like, know. like, yeah, call me. Or if you miss that call by an hour, that whole, you know, that would be the, right, like the that worst window. hour, the worst window. You know, in some places out there, you just can't make a call for, you know, safety right. reasons and logistical reasons and stuff. And, you know, and your parents don't get that call and you don't want them to worry. So that's, that was the other, that's another concern too. You get this odd, I guess, I don't know, call to another division in 2007 where they say, you know, it'd be fun if we start doing videos here at the LA Times. Oh, you know, and I like the cut of your gym. <laughs> and you know what? I actually asked to do more multimedia. Because at that point, was it a lot of, we were doing like, was it sound? We were, we were yeah. adding audio yeah, and it was, it, was, it was sound slides. Sound slides. Yes, but, and but, I love sound slides. But here's so here's fun. No, no. Here's the thing. Okay, the whole the whole thing that the whole thing about sound slides. When I was at the Daily News, right? I was at when I was at the Daily News. I was thinking, how cool would it be if we can add, like, you know, when we're inter interviewing people, if we can take their voice 
and put it with a photo. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking of sound slides before the sound slides even happened. And so for me, I was thinking about that, that the move to multimedia and to video for me was a natural evolution. It was a natural move for me, a natural growth as a photographer. So when uh, multimedia came around in, in 2007, I asked to do more of it. And then they said, you know, they may be full time. I embraced it. I loved it. I, for me, I thought this is great. How does that conversation go about to you and say, Hey, you know, we want to take the cameras out of your hand in a way and give you this other camera. Mm-hmm. Are you good with it? Like, were you, I, I was great with it. Were you scared? Were you worried? Uh, like, yeah, I was scared. I was worried. Um, I felt like I was giving up, you know, my babies. <laughs> Because, you know, my whole professional career was as a still photographer. So I'm giving up still cameras for a video camera. And, but I embraced the technology, you know, and I was excited about the technology. And I wanted to do more of it because I was thinking about this whole process long before multimedia was even a thing in news publications or in, in newspapers. Was... Was there training? What was the training involved for you? What did you have to do to kind of like get up to snuff on my My training was whatever I taught myself. So all the video learning, I essentially taught myself. Really? You didn't yeah. go to Platypus or Maine? Oh, or no, 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 you didn't no. Do it? I didn't go to Platypus. No, none of that. You were just no. kind of like... Hey. I just kind of just kind of just do it on my own. And if I had a problem, I will look it up, look on YouTube or Google it. Uh, read the manual <laughs> <laughs> this manual you talk of because you know there's so much more involved now mm-hmm. the audio yeah. the video yeah. the editing yeah, yeah. you're uh, you're exporting right this yeah. was i looked it up in 2007 youtube hadn't even gone to hd yet no. it was still 720 yeah, yeah. and i at that time i was um the professional program i was editing on was final cut express right yeah and then after wow. that i think i had final cut maybe five or something five six yeah so. out of express final cut was very good mm-hmm. but express was very limited mm-hmm. right it was it was iMovie slightly yeah. better yeah so i mean i taught myself on final cut express and you know we had what happened was we actually had a copy in the valley office um when i was working there they had it so i'm like you, you guys mind if i just you know play around with this stuff i'm like no go ahead and this is back in <laughs> 19, 1999 <laughs> So I was practicing and doing video, like short stuff, and just kind of learning that stuff back in 1999, long, long before 2007. Yeah. I wanted to do this full time. Jesus. Was there, was there any, like, discussion like, well, if this only happens for a year or two, do I get to go back? Or, like, what, you know, where yeah. does this put me? Yeah, no, they, they said, you know, if this thing ends, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a photographer, so I can always go back to photo. Okay. So uh, there was always um, kind of like that safety net. But, you know, I, I embraced it. I enjoyed doing it. But even and, and towards the end, just kind of like their, um, the way things were going, I was doing like, um, towards the end, I was doing like a lot of process videos, you know, like, you know, food videos and cooking videos and, you know, car reviews and stuff, like a lot of formulaic stuff. Right. right? And after a while, I just kind of got tired of that. You know, it sort of got boring. It did seem like it. was burning out on that stuff. Yeah, it did seem like at the end that they were doing more like LA Times TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were the network photographer doing like, hi, I'm I'm Gail, and today we're we're making salads. Yeah, yeah, doing a lot of that stuff like, you know, award show red carpets and things. And right, yeah, just or here I am with the Mustang today, and you're. You know, and you just kind of get tired of that. So, right, you weren't doing real deep story like where you where you won the Emmy yeah. with. Yeah, 
And so when in 2018, I just, you know, I asked the photo department, I said, hey, can I be put back on the photo schedule just to get back into doing a greater variety of, of assignments, you know, yeah. instead of just the car reviews again or the Well, 11 foods. years, you did 11 years of video. Yeah, it was great. I loved On the it. cutting edge. I loved it. Uh, the experience that I had, and you know, it was fantastic. So. It was a lot, like, it was, it was really interesting. Like, you had your career film you go from film to digital but in video you go from literally like 720p to 4k like this huge change from mm -hmm. what film was like to what digital is now and what yeah. video was yeah. like you know if i would have showed you a, what a gimbal looked like in 2007 yeah <laughs> oh my god uh, the gimbals nowadays like you, you would know, kill for yeah what, what used to cost you know tens of thousands of dollars you know for just a few hundred dollars you can run around with your dslr on it or your phone or whatever that little that little dji pocket pixel that yeah. literally it's the size of gum it shoots you know it's, it's amazing technology yeah and and now uh, my kind of like um further evolution as a photographer is shooting with drones you know? right drones have expanded my vision of what I can do as a photographer now, you know, you've do always... you think, can you imagine when you said this, your three trips in a day up in the helicopter, I thought, God, can you imagine covering the riots today with those drones? That'd be incredible. Wouldn't it? Unbelievable. I mean, you know, you got to do it safely. <laughs> right. But, huh, what you could have accomplished yeah. and gotten. But, but and... even nowadays though, um, you know, when you go out and do a story, if you can get like an aerial photo, like an overall, or just some kind of just a, like a unique visual graphic from up above it's part of your kit now right yeah, it's part of the kit you know and uh, to have that flexibility and to have that ability to do that it just also i feel like it just makes me a more well-rounded it's another tool photographer. it's another tool but it's, it's more well-rounded well yeah photographer. it's definitely another tool in your tool belt where mm -hmm. you're like ah, i yeah. got a slot here now i can fill it i love it I, I love i love shooting with the drone it's i think it's just such a great great tool for what we do Right, it, there's cliches to it, oh, but yeah, when you hit of it, course, of course, when you see something and you're like, "Oh, all these elements are yeah. perfect for me," and the shadow, yeah, yeah. And the contrast, and mm -hmm. I could never have gotten this. I couldn't have gotten this close to the helicopter, so that would have. And that was, that was the other thing too. And like um, back in the days, we when we wanted an aerial photo, we had to rent a helicopter, you know, or maybe there was like a a, a tall building nearby that we right. could get on the roof, you know. But yeah, back yeah, back before the drone, man. If we wanted those aerial photos, we had to get a helicopter. But you know, I, depending on what kind, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars an hour. Oh my god! You cost them a fortune during the riot. <laughs> well, the three, but we weren't up the entire time. We would be up for maybe an hour or two, right. and then come back, land, go up for an hour or two, come back, land, and, and we did all that to make one picture so your father would be happy. So it ended up in TV Guide. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the the video you did that won you the Emmy. How did that come about? The, that was that was something I worked on with um, Barbara Davidson. She it was her idea, and um, she wanted to do interviews with um, family members and victims of you know of gang violence. Mm -hmm. And so I helped um, with the video portion of it. I shot all the interviews. She did all the, she would ask all the questions, but I'm the one, I set up the whole, you know, the look and set up the cameras. And and you did it in black and white. Yeah, because she was going for like a very specific look. She didn't want it to be more like, like, a, like a video 
right. type of look, but a little bit more, um, I guess, uh, a little more stylized. Okay. Now, did you come up, when, when you were doing your videos, were you coming up with the whole concepts and the lighting schemes and everything? Like, wh- how much control did you have? For the Emmy project? Any project. For a- any project, it was, a, if you're working out in the field, not a whole lot. But if okay. you're working, if you're doing this, working in the studio, you had a lot of control in terms of like lighting and you know camera placement, right. background stuff like that. Now this project with Barbara, what? It, how did you, you know, come up with that concept? Other than she wanted something more stylistic and lighting, but did you kind of come up with quick pace? What they were? How are you going to lay them out, left and right? To the no, it was just basically just try to keep it as uh, like as simple as possible, like one light. Okay. Um, she wanted to shoot everything with one camera, but I said, no, I think we, sh- we need to have multiple. I-, I knew that we need to have multiple just because if you're editing, from, you know, from editing video, you need cutaways, you mm-hmm. know, for editing. And on s- some of it, we shot with two cameras and some of it, which I had three cameras set up to give, you know, different okay. options. Right. And so to-, to have plenty of choices when you're editing. Right. A tight shot, yeah. medium. Yeah, but basically for-, for her, it was like, you know, let's just go with a very... We originally did the interviews, or we're going to on location, like at the people's homes and stuff. And we did the first one at, at, at someone's home, like in their room, and it was just, it was terrible. A lot of street noise. The lighting was window light. It was just all it was too bright. It was overlit. It was just no control. It just looked terrible, right? Right. So that's when we decided let's bring it into the studio, but let's just kind of keep everything, um, you know, very the lighting subdued, low key. Um, keep it a dark background and just like just like one soft box on them, you know, um, and then just... Uh, it's sh- pretty. Yeah, just keep it as simple as possible. Yeah. Were you were you even aware that there could have been a chance for an Emmy? Oh, you- oh, no, no. When you go into something like that, you don't think of stuff like that. You're like, you know, let's just... Did you even think that there was an Emmy category for non-TV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew about that. Okay. I knew about that. But, um, I mean... This could have been a submission for that, but we weren't thinking about that. I, at least I wasn't thinking about that. But remember, Barbara ended up winning a Pulitzer for the story, too. Right. She won the Pulitzer and the Emmy for this story, and it was her story. I'm disappointed she didn't win the Tony. <laughs> she, if she won the Tony, that would have really yeah, capped it off. Yeah, yeah. Well, but she actually... But, it, I mean, it was just it was an incredible story. It was her idea. She pitched it. She worked it. Um, you know, and she had this idea to do the video and I just helped her realize the visual part of the video, but it was her project. You know, I was just, you know, lucky enough to be, have been a part of it. So I, I ended up shooting all the interviews and she was there. So I would set up the studio. She would go pick up the subjects and bring them back to the studio. Mm-hmm. And I had it all lit and everything set. And then we just did the interview for a couple of hours with them. When they announced the Emmy winners, what was going through your head? I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I won an Emmy. I didn't win a Pulitzer, but I won an Emmy. <laughs> and then, but, you know, Barbara won a Pulitzer. She, I mean, she got right. both. So, that, you know, good for her. What did mom and dad say? I, when they announced the Emmy, we, the Emmy, all the Emmy winners, it was, and it was also, I want to clarify, it was a national Emmy. National, too. I a, remember was, you telling me that. It was that a national Emmy. Not, not a regional. Not a regional Emmy. It was a national Emmy, so it was, it was a big one. Yeah, suck it, right? Because I remember you telling <laughs> no, me. No, I'm sucking. No, because you were very <laughs> no. proud. You're like, I won a national Emmy. It was it was a national Emmy. And so all the winners, they had the choice if they wanted to, they could buy their own Emmy, the statue. 
It was like, I think it's like $400, right? Because what, does the Times get one or the... Well, here's the thing. So I'm like, so I go up, you know, up to her boss and I go, wait, um, so are you guys going to buy an Emmy? Are you going to buy us an Emmy? What's going on? Because like the deadline was coming up because I would have paid the $400 and got my own Emmy, right? And so like it's waiting and, you know, I'm like, what are you guys going to do? And and, and Emmy would be really nice in our display case over there. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're still thinking about it. The $400! And then I'm like, you know, are you guys, you know, what about us? Do we get one? <laughs> and I'm getting, like, ready to pull out my checkbook. <laughs> and then finally they said, okay, yeah, you know, we're going to buy, the company will pay for the Emmy, like the staff and then the individuals for us. And they said they bought, like, several. So I'm like, nice. Jesus, come on, people. So that, I'm about ready to Vimo use $400. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so where does it sit? Well, for the first year, it sat at my parents' house, okay. which is around their dining table. And that was great because they invited all their uh, friends over <laughs> to show off the Emmy. And so they're very, very proud of that. Almost as proud as the TV Guide picture. Well, it's probably know? right next <laughs> to it. Our next TV Guide on the Emmy. <laughs> So no, they were they were very very proud. So the fir- first year it was at my parents' house. They kept it uh, for the first year just so they can show all their friends. <laughs> that was fun. That was cool. Good for them. And now where does it sit? Now it sits on a bookcase uh, bookshelf at home. Um, but is it perfectly placed so when you do Zoom meetings it would show up? No, what I'll do is on Zoom meetings I'll actually place it behind me. You know, right? Just so that way it's in, in frame. Not obvious, but just kind of just subtle, discreetly, subtle, just right in the background. You should though have the OJ picture behind you <laughs> with, with the OJ picture. <laughs> oh man! Oh, was that in the frame? Yeah. Oh well, golly gee! <laughs> no, I've been very lucky and fortunate. Like you know, all these little, all these things happening. Like you know, having a signed OJ picture. Okay, and you know, having an Emmy, being able to cover those things, getting attacked. You know, by multiple subjects yeah just all this stuff ah, what just normal day it's, it's been interesting and you know just doing video for a long time um you know being able to fly drones now which is so cool i mean yeah there's some stories i looked at and i was like the sub story right we oh, gotta the talk sub, the, oh, the we sub, gotta talk sub, about the sub story although malcolm's gonna be very confused so, oh, that we didn't sub, talk about yeah. and then there's the mammoth mountain the story you did in 2010 with dave mccoy right the, oh yeah the, the founder of the founder yeah of, yeah and you, you, you know, a, I, a cool guy. watching that, you can see that was still very raw video, the way it was shot. And then uh, 2012, you went to the Olympics. Yeah. So, I mean, two things that really stand out for me for different reasons um, at the LA Times is um, in 2007, when I went to the Arctic, you know, the, the right. ice camp, Arctic ice camp story with the summary and all that. And then 2012 with the... Um, olympics in london and i didn't go as a credential photographer so i wasn't stuck inside a stadium doing sports they had me we worked out some kind of a, a deal with like um like a technology company so we had extra money to be able to send me and so i went and i was just around the city outside looking for stories outside the city around the city hmm. and doing some assignments sports assignments with some of the reporters outside of the stadium and so it was great you know i had a chance to see a lot of the city and you know and just uh, kind of like look for and find my own stories and a lot of it just turned out to be like little man on the street type of things you know like, like getting the feel and the pulse of 
what's going on. Right. So that that was fun because I mean I was there for three weeks, which is amazing, you know. So well, the Olympics goes on for seventeen days. It goes on forever. Yeah, well, I, I was there. I I got there a week before because the writers, some of the writers, were there a week earlier. Right. So I had to go there and meet up with them to see if there were any stories that I needed to um, photograph. Start putting still together still photos. Yeah. I was there for video primarily, but also doing still photos. Because I was the outside the stadium guy. I was the around the city because all the stadium guys are inside. You know? Yeah, they're trapped inside. Yeah, they're trapped inside. You're not coming out. So I was the guy, you know, running around the city, picking up various assignments, looking for my own video stories to shoot. Um, so it was it was great, and I had a chance to see the city. Um, it was just beautiful. Tell me about the Arctic. How does that come about? Because that's not normally a normal destination. Someone says, hey, let's go skiing in the Arctic. Well, in 2007, and this is, um, it was in, yeah, the spring of 2007, we had got a call from um, the U.S. Navy, their, uh, like, PIO, asking us, if the media, if we want to go join them on, in the Arctic for the Arctic Ice Camp. And it's something that the Navy does along with the University of Washington's Applied Physics Laboratory. And they run, like, you know, science experiments and various things. And the U.S. Navy and a British uh, submarine counterpart, they do run, like, you know, tactical war games under the ice and right. all that stuff, right? And then you also have other researchers there who do, you know, study climate change and everything else. So there's a lot of science experiments happening up there. And they asked us if we wanted to come along. So the reporter who lives in Seattle at that time, he's, he's passed. But, um, you know, he got a call. And then they asked me, I guess, because I shot video, too, at that time. Right, because you're so double-edged I, I, sword, I, right? I could, yeah. I could do double duty. And they're like, hey, do you want to go to the Arctic? I'm like, sure. And, and, <laughs> Excuse me? And, the, and the, the most interesting at that point was kind of like shopping for the Arctic. It's like, what do you buy? to go to the Arctic, and I did my research and checked kind of like the weather around that time. It was like minus 20 degrees. I'm like, you know, what do you buy locally at REI? That'll, that'll Nothing. Help survive right? Like, so I went to REI, and I bought like the thickest down jacket, like down pants, right? It's like nothing. It's basically like ski wear, right? Yeah. Like, and so, you know, I, I go up, um, and I bought some like uh, Sorel snow boots too. Okay. So I fly up to, you know, Alaska and boom, 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 um, fly up to Anchorage, spend the night. And then from there, fly up to like, like Fairbanks and um, like Prudhoe Bay or something. It's, it's like a commuter flight. And right. Beach. You're taking little hoppers, yeah, right? Yeah. We, yeah. We get to Prudhoe Bay and meet up, meet up with the Navy. <laughs> and then we're, as we're getting ready, they hand me this like giant, super thick parka. It's like, hey, get, lose your jacket, put this on. You know, and it's like just super, super dense down jacket, right? Like to the knee, kind of really long. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's like kind of like mid thigh, okay. thigh uh, park. And I had the, this, you know, the the down pants on. And it's just basically just for, you know, chance of survival, just in case the plane crashes on the ice and we're <laughs> waiting for like help or something, right? So they had us on. And we were on one of these giant, you know, big Cessna, the cargo plane to hold like nine people or something. So we get on that. And then we take off from uh, Prudhoe Bay. And it's like a 90-minute flight, and we land on an ice floe. Because the Arctic is just all ice. Right, there's, it's just no shifting land. ice. Yeah, shifting ice. So we land on it, and then, you know, there's like uh, these, um, like, wooden huts and, you know, a bunch of setup, and that's where um, living quarters are, and that's where, like, um, 
like the Navy had their command center and, and things like that. And, you know, they walk into us, they open the door, and the first breath you take is minus 20 degrees, and your nostrils just freeze up. You're like, oh, maybe this is a bad idea. <laughs> it's like you can't breathe because your nose and nostrils are frozen. Oh, God. And I think, oh, man, it's like welcome to the Arctic. And it's, and, you know, it's a springtime too. So minus 20 was warm. Oh, my goodness. And so, you know, uh, they checked us in. They kind of gave us a briefing. And they checked us in. We were in this, like, um, you know, plywood shack with, like, an oil heater that kept us warm. And so I I was in a bunk, so I got my bunk and, you know, just sort of unpacked and kind of got ready. And we were there for, like, three days. But on, like, on the second day, right, there was this scramble around, around the camp, like everyone's kind of running around and everyone's like quiet, like more quiet. They're not like talking and, you know, you're not jovial. And then we find out, you know, like um, that there was an emergency aboard the um, British submarine. Oh my. That they were, had like a cycle out a oxygen canister and like it blew up and it killed two British submariners and, and it injured one. And so what um, the scramble was that the, uh, the Navy, the U S Navy, they had they sent up the helicopter to try to find like shallow water where the British sub could come up because they're not reinforced like American subs. Right, right, right. So they can only come up through shallow like ice, like maybe like a foot of ice or shallow water where the American subs because they're um, uh, reinforced. They're safe. They can come up through yeah. Like they can come up through three feet of ice. So you know they're in a scramble to try to find like shallow water, try to get this injured submariner off their the thing. You know, and they eventually find this shallow water like about a mile away. And so now, you know, all these people are getting um, like a rescue party together, you know, with like dry suits and inflatable rafts and like snowmobiles. And it's really, really dangerous and anxious too because now they're, they have to travel from here to the sub over ice that they'd never been on. There's danger of, you know, are you going to fall through? Right. Uh, yeah, you know, sure. What, what's going to happen? So there's about Jesus. maybe like like 10 of these, you know, um, getting ready. And they finally set off, and like it's towards sunset, so it's getting dark. They take off, and, just, and they're gone. We're like, oh, man, this is, you know, this is crazy. We're here for a different story, and like this breaking news happens. And so... Um, How are you covering it? What are you thinking? The reporter, The reporter is there. I'm just, I'm thinking as, well, I got to shoot still photos, you know? I got to shoot still photos of what's going on so that we can kind of send some pictures pictures back. But the thing is, we had no way to get this news back to land. Right, right yeah. There's no cell communication there. Yeah, the guy's not going to show up on the motorcycle and take your film yeah. back. So uh, the story didn't get out until basically we left like a couple of days later. Uh, like the, the next day, you know, we left. And so it's getting dark now, and, you know, we see lights. They're coming back, and they, they fire up the helicopter. And generally, it's like you can't, you can't fly the helicopter at night in the Arctic for safety reasons. But they have to fire up the helicopter and fly at night to take the injured submariner back to Alaska, to uh, Prudhoe Bay. What are they, or, a Black Hawk, or what are they taking out of there? No, it's like a, it's like a, like a Huey. Okay. Not it was. It's not a jet ranger, but it's like a Huey, almost like a, like um like an L.A. County fire helicopter, okay. like one of those, right? Right. So it was, it was a Huey. I think that's what it's called. And um, they bring him in. They load him up, and, and the helicopter takes off in the middle of the night, and just you know wow. takes off. And like uh, a few hours later, because it's about ninety minutes, 
to land and then like you know another 90 minutes back so three hours later it comes back safely you know thank god so it was crazy and then the um the reporter did a first person story his name is alex tizon he passed away um several years ago but he this the stories um there about the experience how we were there for this and all of a sudden this thing happened so it's kind of a story a crazy story that we were there and like you know how did you prep your gear and be prepared for that kind of weather oh you you can't it's it was horrible um i had a video camera and i had a still camera you can't really properly prep for that weather um, I use things like, you know, like those hand warmers and like a special cover to try to keep it warm, but it's so cold, it doesn't work. You keep the battery like an in inside pocket and just only pull it out when you need it. <laughs> but it's so cold, right? Again, and it, it freezes so quickly or it gets cold so quickly, it shortens the life. So you're just like, you know, shooting quickly, kind of t- uh, putting the battery back in your pocket. And when... Um, and when you go from like the cold to the heat, you got to be careful that the lens doesn't condense because okay. when the condensation happens, the glass is, uh, is so cold, it, the condensation turns to ice. <laughs> Basically, your lenses and stuff ice over. Oh, my goodness. So that you can't, there's not a whole lot you can do. So you got to be very, very careful. Holy moly. Yeah. But living up there um, was just, just kind of interesting for that period, um, you know. They said just, you know, biggest danger was, I guess, polar bears. So before you go out, you know, check to see if there are any eyeballs looking back at you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And, yeah, and then um, it was interesting. And so we also got a tour of the the submarine, too. What was that like? I mean, that must have been surreal to think that you were going to go into a nuclear sub. Yeah, and that actually happened on the morning of the second day of... The, uh, the the thing, the, that emergencies, that happened later in the afternoon. So in the beginning, they sent us out to this area, and then workers had marked on this ice. It's maybe like, it's about three feet thick, but they brushed away some of the snow to like mark like a, like a cross mark so that the sub can aim for, right? Okay. Well, it kind of got it right, but the, the, the back, the tail was sort of off, and it started coming up where all of our equipment was all the research equipment and photo gear. So we're like, no. And we're just like running towards the thing. And the ice is kind of undulating and buckling. And if we think it's going to crack and everyone's running for the gear, like, you know, to grab it and get out of the way. So it doesn't, it doesn't crack and like fall. Holy crap. Right. And then the sub comes up. There's like a little bit of a crack like this. And it heaves again, a little bit more of a crack. And then finally it just comes up and you see the sail, which people call the conning tower punch up through the, the ice and just all of a sudden there's like a nuclear submarine in front of you. <laughs> Surprise! And then guys with chainsaws show up and they cut through the ice so you can get into the hatch in the submarine. And so we climb down, right? And this is where the condensation problem happens. So we climb down and it's humid down there because of all the people and stuff. Sure. And so I'm like tr- trying to record and the video camera, the lens, it froze up. The condensation froze up. So oh, I, c- no. I couldn't shoot any video down, down oh. on the sub. How long does it? How long does it take? Oh, hours, because the, the thing's frozen. So for the entire duration, I couldn't shoot anything. And so after at that point, pretty much it was done. I couldn't. Um, uh, I, even when we got outside, I couldn't shoot because it, the lens was basically just it was ice. Oh <laughs> God! Yeah. 
Well, there goes that. There no. goes that. How was it like inside? Was it was it shocking? How interesting? Was it cool? It was it was interesting. It's um it's obviously it's like being on a, a ship, you know, like narrow hallways and corridors and like the navy, the sleeping quarters were like like stack three high, you know, very narrow banks. Right. And it's very, very claustrophobic. So I can't imagine like being on that sub, right? And being underwater for months at a time yeah. knowing that you're not going to no, two or three days but yeah. months yeah once you go down you're not coming up for like you know another six months or something so it's it's pretty incredible but the, one of the things is, is um i've heard is that for motivation good food is is very important just to as a motivator right so the ice camp they actually flew in a chef who made really really nice good food hot food and stuff and then the submarine also, uh, I guess, has like just you know wonderful meals on board too to motivate the crew. I think the Navy's kind of known for that, yeah, like yeah. having good food over yeah. like the Army or the mm -hmm. Marine Corps. Yeah, you have to, you know, just being isolated, isolated like that. It just you gotta Jesus. have good food. You know, you're in the Arctic, you're working minus twenty degree weather. It's like you gotta have good food as a motivator. So. <laughs> You just did a story I saw not too long ago, and, I, and I, I'm so glad I got you on because I want to talk about this. Was the Mount Shasta story? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Holy crap! What a nightmare for those people. Yeah, um, but th this is this is okay. This is a very tough story for me. Physically, I mean, physically from a physical point of right, view. Right. That's what I thought. Like, so, walk me through this. Okay. So for the Ma Mount Shasta story, or um, the, you know, the writer had got up. Um, months before, and then he encountered. Um, let's see. Wait, no. he was on a different hike. Okay, Mount Shasta. They experience uh, a death up there and falls, like multiple falls, um, like in one day. And it was kind of rare. It's very, very dangerous. So the reporter wanted to do a story on that, sort of like the anatomy of how all of this happened, right? Okay. And so we went up there. I drove up there. I met him there from sea level. We get up. I get up to Mount Shasta. And then the next day, we're supposed to hike up to kind of like where they found like the body, you know, which is up around the 10,000 foot mark, right? And but, you're going to hike up this? No. Well, we drove up to a, a parking lot, which is about 8,000 feet, 7,800 feet. Okay. And then from there, we were supposed to hike up another 2,200 feet up to there. Okay. But I didn't make it because, um, you know, we're already starting off at 7,800 feet, you know, which is over a mile. And there's, you know. Well over a mile. Yeah, yeah. well over a mile. It's like, you know, and, you know, the breathing even for me is difficult. And as we started getting up and up higher, you know, it started getting more difficult. And I was trying to carry it as, as light of an equipment load as possible. What did you have with you? That's what I was going to ask. What's well, I, had one, I had one Canon 5D Mark IV. With two lenses, I had the um, sixteen thirty-five, okay, and then the seventy to two hundred f four, the lightweight, mm -hmm. and and then I had a um, a GoPro, which as I use for video, and my cell phone for video, and shoot shoot stills with that in addition to that tripod. Stuff. No, no Just, tripods. No. And I had, I had a backpack. With um, a Camelback water bag, just, okay. just for water and some snacks, and that was it. And so we're making this hike up because you know it's it's sunny and and 
fairly warm. This wasn't freezing. Spring? When would you go up? Oh, this is early fall, I believe. Okay. Yeah, but there's still snow up there, right? Yeah, but a lot of it, a lot of it melted away. Okay. But and the reason we went there because they want to try to see, you know, get some of the snow because with the conditions and stuff. So we got to this area about, oh, I want like 9,500 feet maybe. And at this point, I was just like physically dead. I couldn't move and take another step. It's I was just totally done. Cause, you know, um, I'm almost two miles up. I couldn't catch my breath. Uh, I felt a little nauseous, so it felt like, you know, like like an onset of um, altitude sickness coming mm-hmm. on. And I was just exhausted, right? So I, st- I was on this ledge where we kind of rested, and I told the reporter, no, you and the ranger are going to have to go on to shoot the rest of the photos up where this stuff happened. So I told the reporter, just like, make shoot a bunch of video clips, keep your camera steady, you know, do this. And he, he did a good job with it, and then the, the ranger... And took him up and like another couple hundred feet to where um, where they found the bodies, and so it was just physically it was just grueling. I, that was the first time where I just couldn't go any further. I was like done, and they were gone for like two hours. During that time, I just sat there and took a bunch of cat naps, just try to recover because we had to hike back down, right? You know, and it was like over through like boulder fields and stuff. So um, it was it was you know physically a little bit demanding. Um, but luckily, I wasn't horrible, and I didn't have to be like airlifted off. Um, after like the two-hour rest, I was much better, and I was able to make it down with them. Is it one of those things where the expectations that you'll be able to do that, but without the real expectations of like, wow, Myung isn't in like hiking shape, or this is altitude? Yeah. And no, I, I mean I'm I'm physical. I do a lot of hiking, but I do a lot of hiking locally. Right? Yeah, yeah I, I see I see your stuff, but you're yeah, not. I, mean, I don't know. I don't. You're hike, not at eight thousand feet. I don't start at eight thousand feet. You know, it's like you know, for me. Hiking in the high desert or maybe like um, Mount Wilson, which is maybe a little bit over a mile or something, right? Right. So, you know, that stuff I can do, but you know, anything above that, it's just my body is just unacclimated. Because remember, I just drove up from sea level the day before. Right. And then all of a sudden, you try to make that hike. And, and for me, I got up to like 9,700 feet or so, and that was it. I couldn't go anymore. So from 7,800 to 9,700. 1900 vertical feet that was it jesus and after that i messaged uh, robin her office manager i said can you just get me like a decent point and shoot with like a good zoom range because there's no way i'm carrying that dslr ever again for another hiking story because you know even if you cut it down to like a camera and two lenses that's still like a lot more weight than you know, you should be carrying, or that yeah. I should be carrying. It's what, 11 pounds, 12 pounds? No, 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 it's not that much. It's a, it's a few pounds, but still, all of that adds up. Like, you know, every step just it, it adds up. So they got me, like, a nice little Sony pointy shoot for, like, any of those physically demanding stories like that. Oh, my gosh. What was your thought? Like, did you want, when if you would have made it up, what would you have tried to accomplish? Do like an interview? Yeah, do, do the interview and find out where all the bodies are found on the snow on the area and, and you know, things like that. Okay. But just, I, I couldn't physically make it anymore. It wasn't going to happen. Was, yeah, I was done. I was pooped. So the whole story was two people, basically amateur hikers, hire a professional. They go up, get caught on ice that they shouldn't have been on, and slide, what they say, for... Like, um... 
almost a mile, I think. Yeah, a mile like, of sliding. Like, yeah, like almost like a thousand vertical feet. Yeah. Almost a mile of sliding, which is crazy. And just tear themselves up. But yeah, but the 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 one group where the mountain guide was killed and she was an a, you know experienced climber too and that was the shocking part right and then the other one were uh, like these two sisters who were like totally unprepared for what was up there you know so you know that well people don't get it i mean i remember a registered reporter got trapped at, at saddleback mountain and that was just a day hike but they didn't come down in time and they got stuck up there that night up there at night yeah yeah it's like, guys, you got to realize, like, if it takes you four hours to get up, it's going to take you four hours yeah, to get back. And when you get there, you want to probably sit for an hour or two. Yeah. It's like time goes by quick and temperature change, mm-hmm. water, snacks. What? Yeah. All that you know? stuff. All oh, that it's stuff. only a six mile hike up. Well, that means it's a six mile hike yeah, back. Like, yeah. you, you get winded. Yeah. It's brutal. It is. It's It's tough. And, you know, these, uh, the hikers, they were turning around, the, the guide, I think, you know, like they were turning around and something happened and right. uh, they the, lost the, their home. Wasn't the, the whole thing, because it's all accounts, is somebody, somebody snagged and somebody goes and then they, they're all tied together. Yeah, so they're, all, they're all tied together, apparently for um, some kind of safety, but also the risk is like, you know, one person goes down. There's they drag all three with them. They drag all of them down, so. Yeah. You've been kind of lucky at the times. You've done a lot of really cool travel stuff because I always see you, and you're like, "Oh, I'm traveling up to 101," or here yeah, I am. It's, it's yeah, it's fun. Here I am at this beautiful place or that beautiful place. But the problem with that is you you can't you're not really having fun. No, you're, you're not working. on a trip. It's work because it's working. And the thing is, you're working from like sun to way past sundown, trying to get like pretty light and stuff. Right. You so, will shoot shooting sunrise. Yeah, you're not getting up you, at night. You get early pretty light, and then you want you know late pretty light too. So you're just working the whole day. It's it's long long days, and you're the only one there. So you got to cover everything. Yeah, and you're not you're not experiencing it with a loved one having red wine and you know prime rib sitting there you know seaside. Yeah, for me it's you know it's takeout Denny's so I can go back <laughs> to the hotel and eat while I'm editing. Takeout Denny's that must be really <laughs> good. Denny's is one thing, but takeout. Denny's is pretty good. I love know? a moon over my hammy. I mean, I mean, Denny's could be a potential sponsor. I would know? love Denny's to be a potential sponsor. <laughs> I will wear a moon over my hammy t-shirt all day long. So you get in touch with Matt Brown at justagoodconversation.com. <laughs> smash the and, like and button. Smash that like button. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Are there any other stories you've done where, like, physically you felt like, good Lord, this is taxing. Like, oh, yeah. When um, back um, 2008, 2009 or thereabouts, when I hiked up to um, uh, Mount, top of Mount St. Helens with uh, the writer. Okay. And part of that story was uh, because the mountain um, well, it was a hiking story. And then, he, you know, you have to get uh, passes and reservations and stuff like that. And that was super grueling, too. Um, but it was really weird, uh, unique, because you start off at the tree line, right? Mm-hmm. Then you go up, and like the next third of it is like boulders, like big boulders where you're kind of like climbing over. And then after that, like the top, it's um, like gravel and sand. So you got these like three distinct, you wow. know, different layers. And then you get, and the thing is, it took me, the guys I, were, I was with, the other people, they were like more accomplished, so they they already got up there. It took me forty five minutes to make that final, right? And by the time I get up there, like, oh, okay, we're ready, let's go. 
because we've been up there for 45 minutes. I'm like, no, man, just sit. Sit tight for like just 15 minutes, Jimmy, 10 minutes. Jimmy. Give me a little bit of time. And so, you know, get pictures and just enjoy the view up there. And then there was this kid, a teenager kid, like he's maybe like 15 years old or something. He was like a jackrabbit, just like running up the thing. And the poor kid, he ended up cramping up his leg. So we had to take turns carrying him down the mountain. Oh, no. Until he could get, regain the use of his legs. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, oh, God. So it was, it was interesting. But, it, yeah, we left, like, we went up before sunrise. It was dark. And then we got back, you know, like late in the afternoon. So it was, it was like an all-day trip. But that was, it was fun. It was unique. Wow. And then I went up there like uh, two more times because, you know, the, um, the uh, I guess the lava was kind of like bubbling or something like that. And so they had me go up there just to kind of keep an eye on it to see if anything happened. <laughs> hey, Beyond, go keep an eye on some hot lava. Some, something like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would love to see that emoji yeah. sent to you. <laughs> so, yeah, that was interesting. Mount St. Helens was interesting. That was, that was physically... Uh, grueling too because you're, you're literally you're hiding starting from the bottom like up to the top so it's just like geez when you get back when you when you come off of your video department and you mm-hmm. move back into stills mm-hmm. it seemed like you started doing a lot of celebrity portraits a lot of portraits I'm actually I missed the portraiture I missed you know doing a lot of the lighting and stuff so it was nice getting back to that right because you know we're we were seeing each other all the time at the academy yeah. and yeah, stuff yeah. and you're tinkering with I got this box <laughs> and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and stuff and you were you was Dave Honnold's like modifiers yeah, yeah, yeah. and things was was that like really like inspiring to you to do those kind of portraits? Yeah, it was because I wasn't doing that for video. For video, I wasn't doing any of that stuff, you know. So for many, many years, you know, I wasn't doing like the creative portraiture and and, and things like that. So it was nice to get back to it, doing it, you know. And that's and it was. It took a little while to get back up to speed. Okay. Because back then I was still using them like um, the pocket wizards. And like you know, uh, hooking it up to like either speed lights or uh, dyna lights, right, mm-hmm. to trigger them. Until I got uh, a set of Godox, right? And man, th- that's thing. I know, I know, it's like pro photo ripoffs, knockoffs, sure. But you know, the with the radio trigger, that's always reliable and always works. Oh my god, what a game changer! So they are amazing. The, the, having the Godox was just an absolute game changer in doing um, like you know portraits. Do you, I mean, it's so funny, like, when you deal with a portrait with the general public, CEO, mayor, person of the week, and then you have a celebrity, you got a professional, you got a woman who knows her body, you know, a guy, he looks great. When you're dealing with celebrities, what's your process? What are you thinking going in? Like, what I want to, what pictures I'm trying to make and story I'm trying to tell? How much do you over, do you think about that? Whenever I photograph people, just generally people, I always try to get a flattering picture of them. Okay. When I do their portrait, I want it to be first flattering. Okay, I'm not there to make them look bad or anything like that. You know, I think that's just very disingenuous of me to do that. So I always try to make them look flattering, but also interesting. Mm-hmm. And what I start when I celebrities, the way I start is I usually Google them. And find out what their best angle, which best side is, left side, right side, straight on, what the best lighting is. Is it flat lighting? Is it just a, you know, a little bit above this way, off to the side, or which way? So I, I do a little bit of homework that way to find out the best way to light celebrities. 
because they don't have a lot of time. So you got to kind of be set up and ready to go. Um, right. You know, you only have a few, several minutes with them. So you just have to be ready to go and you can't do a whole lot of fumbling. So I, I do all of that um, sort of ahead of time, you know, which way I want to, them to pose. And then like, depending on what the story is, maybe just with the mood, um, is this a somber, you know, light, light smile, you know, things like that. And just you were doing like, a yeah. lot of like really wide open aperture stuff. Oh there, yeah, right? I lo- yeah. I love that stuff. One, two, yeah, wide, one, wide open with strobe and things like right. that. Yeah. Because I think it just has a very. Do you do high sync or are you a neutral density kind of guy? I'm a neutral density kind of guy just because the high sync, you lose a lot of power. So at least, you know, uh, with the, um, with the neutral density, it just it works better for me, I think. And it just. You the variable? Do you switch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, ha- I have the variable. And also because um, like when you do the high sync, it's like multiple pulses and it, and after like 40 frames or 40 shots, it overheats the strobe. So you got to kind of like stop. Right. Um, so I'd rather just do the regular full burst and just control the overall exposure with the very, yeah, very, way down. variable density. And that's the coolest thing. You'd be able to do that, like using strobe, shooting wide open, like sometimes with the wide angle, like 24-1-4. Yeah. Just get that really, really unique, you know, look that you normally don't see in a portrait. You yeah, know? at all. So I, I love that stuff. I love just kind of messing around with things, you know, that way that with that process Does that still spark you get you yeah, fired absolutely. up when you yeah, get to yeah, do yeah, that yeah, yeah. oh i get to play and my my favorite lens i have i have a 2414 i have a 51.2 and i have the 85 1.2 and you know shooting and that 85 is just so sharp you know you're shooting wide open mm-hmm. um like on the eyes strobe and high key stuff low key it just it's a beautiful lens is what you can do with that do you play with your softbox, octabox? Like, do you different kind of shapes and things with your life modifiers? Uh, I, I do if I have the time. Okay. If I have the time, I'll, I'll do that. Or if I have a, a specific idea, I'll go and do that. Um, and it just, I change it around. I mix it around depending on kind of like the look or the mood I'm going for. So it, it gets mixed around a bit. Have you shot some people you're just like, this is going to be so easy? She's beautiful. She knows exactly where to put herself for this light. You know, a lot of actresses are like that. They're um, they know they they know how to present themselves to the camera. But here's the thing. <laughs> okay, one of the most beautiful actresses back, I think, in was it 2019? I photographed her. Uh, it was pre-pandemic. It was Anna Darmus. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, she's just beautiful in front of the camera. It's like you know, just you can't go wrong photographing her. Sure. And I remember that assignment specifically because on the way back to the office, I was going through Westwood. I got rear-ended. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so I equate, you know, photographing Anna Darmus with getting rear-ended in Westwood. <laughs> it could be worse, I guess. It could have been yeah. worse. But you know what? But it went from such a great thing. It was like one of the worst things. Like, ah, like, oh, damn know, what it. What a bummer. It's like, what was, was what a great evening. She was so sweet and very, you know, very gracious with her time and just very patient. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, and you're on a high, you go, oh, this is great. This is, you know, they're going to love great. it. They're going to love it. Then, you know, you get rear-ended at a light. <laughs> <laughs> I got paperwork to fill out. Uh, yeah, it was horrible. It was in the middle of the night during rush hour. That's all. That was the worst part, and you and you're pulled over, and people are honking at you because you're stopped. You're like, dude, you know, do you see the dent? <laughs> you know, like in, yeah. in the back. <laughs> he hit me. He hit me. Oh Christ! 
You got any like suggestions you can give to dealing with portraits? Because they're always very challenging, especially very early on. When you're new to it, it's very intimidating to give direction to somebody. The best thing to do, the, the best advice I can give is um, look at a lot of examples. Um, if you can, look at also um, interviews with the people. Are they outgoing? Are they friendly? Because sometimes, they, you know, some celebrities don't want to chat. They just want to, like, just get it done, boom, get it right. done, over with. Wham, right? bam. Yeah, just, yeah, over with. Um, you know, usually it's part of a junket. So they're going uh. room to room to room to room. And just, you know, they don't want to spend a lot of time. Um, and you can also feel it, too, when you get there. Can you feel the vibe? It's like, does this person not want to be here? Mm-hmm. Or is this person coming up to you, shaking your hand? How you doing? You know, greeting you. Yeah, and, and you just kind of you take it that way. And sometimes when they just kind of walk in and, hey, how you doing? They just plop down. It means they just want to get it done. Get it out of here. Yeah, get, so just work get quickly. Get me out of here as and fast as you can. And there's always a publicist there telling you that you are out of time. <laughs> Wrap it up. You are out of time. So... You just got to shoot fast. Are there, there, any... there, there have been some, though, where, you know, like uh, Neil Young recently, I photographed Neil Young, the, the oh, singer, okay. right? Yeah. And I've heard that, you know, um, even the publicists, publicists have said that he hates being photographed. He's very difficult, you know, being photographed, right? But And I was kind of ready for that, but I had all these locations, like in his recording studio set up. We go from here, here, here. And he was like the nicest guy. It just seemed very patient. I mean, I didn't drag it out. How long did you shoot each spot? A couple minutes each spot. Okay. Because I had everything sort of like, you know, pre-set uh, up. And right. Move to this location, light set. Exactly. Change my exposure, same. Sh- yeah. Not a lot of fumbling because you don't want to waste no. your time. And he was he was actually very cordial and very gracious with that. So I was like, hey, this is cool. But, but also at the same time, I didn't want to abuse that you know, that patience, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to get to the point where he's like, are you done? Yeah. You are know? we done here? Yeah. Um, because one thing I've, I've heard from other people, other publicists is that thank you for making this short and pleasant, you know, and they, they remember that stuff too. Um, I've all, cause when you show up, I hear like, um, stories like, Oh my God, you know, such and such publication was here. And they just dragged on and just like, you know, it was just awful. And so thank you for just kind of keeping it nice and tidy. Well, we're not them. <laughs> we're not them. So no, I, I try to be respectful of, um, of them and what they're going through. Yeah. So, and if they say you have 20 minutes, I, you know, I try to do 20 minutes or under. Right, definitely. Um, and a junket, when they say it's 15 minutes, it means it's really five minutes. You know that, so you shoot fast. Right, and you just bang it. You just bang it out, man. And it's the best it's yeah. going to be. And then you do the best you can. You go there preset and just do everything and have an idea of how you want to do this. And if they don't want to do it, you just well, then you just have to call an audible and just change it on, change on it the fly. Up. Have you had any ugly situations? What celebs? Yeah, or, or just like people just like, I'm not doing that. You're like, okay. Uh, I've, I've had, man, I've, there's so many. Something like s- similar. I've had a couple. I've had a couple, yeah. Where and they're, they're like, tough. Yeah, I've had a couple where they're like, I, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to name names, but right. like, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, well, would you do this? And, oh, my God. Okay, the worst one was, <laughs> the worst one was, I had to go shoot a uh, celebrity portrait on Hollywood Boulevard. It was for a movie, and we had to go find a star, right? Okay. So Bert, Hannah Shiro, mm-hmm. was assisting me. He volunteered. I'm like, okay, <laughs> for food. Yeah, it's always for food. 
And so we get out there, we find the star, and the day before we, you know, pre-light it, test shoot it, and this is the angle. We're gonna have a step ladder shooting down, right? And it's gonna look beautiful, right? Okay. okay. So we get out there, and on the day of the shoot, get that early, get everything set up. The celebrity comes over. Okay, I get on this thing. And then I shoot a couple frames, and the celebrity's standing there with his hands in his pocket. I'm like, uh, you know, okay, can you just trim a little bit this way? No, I don't want to do that. And I go, okay, shoot a couple frames. Okay, can you take your hands out of your pocket, maybe just put it? He's like, I don't want to do that. And so I got 12 frames with a Hasselblad film. I shot film. That's how special I thought it was. I shot it with a Hasselblad film. 12 frames, they were identical. And I said, well, okay, thank you very much. We are done. 12 frames, identical. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. That, that was probably the worst experience. But it wasn't, it wasn't worst experience as in, like, you know, hurry this up. It's just, you know, like, just totally uncooperative. Like, you know, well, did, I don't want to do this. Did you have a crazy experience with Johnny Rotten in the car? That that wasn't crazy in a bad way. It no, was it was just, a good it was way. But like, crazy you had it all in a good way. He was hammered up and yeah, because we're doing a story about Johnny Rotten. I guess he was had, had a new book coming out, and so <laughs> the reporter was going was went to pick up Johnny Rotten, um, and then he was going to drive him back to the office. And so what we did is I put GoPros in the car, like three of them, you know, individuals and then and the two shot. And they went on the story and Johnny Rotten ended up just telling some just crazy, crazy stories and just and, funny stories. And it was before Comedians with Coffee. You kind was, of set the, was, the tone to it. So you got the premonition for all of this stuff. You Damn know? it, me young. Follow you. through. If I could only successfully <laughs> guess lotto numbers, then my life would be complete. <laughs> Lotto numbers. What would you do with a billion dollars? Whatever I want. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the Oscars this year. You were involved. I guess not involved. You witnessed. You got to see. You got history. Yeah, something very, very (laughs) unique. Um, This is the first time shooting the Oscars show. I've always photographed the Oscars red carpet arrivals. Yes. So this was something new. Um, and I was up there with two cameras, one with um, both mirrorless Canon mirrorless cameras that we um, uh, borrowed from Canon. And one had like a 600 on it. Another one had a 200 to 500 zoom or something, right? And that's pretty tight. So yeah, that's pretty tight. Well, the, six, the sixes, the right? Six, yeah, the 600 is about maybe like a, like a half body from my waist up. If you're shooting the host. If you're shooting the host, yeah, right. where they were. And then the, the two to five gave me gave you some flexibility. And so I had both of them on a um, a Wimberly on Wimberly heads, and so there was like this like this you know monstrosity like right in front of me. So I had to like kind of like peer over to see what was going on. And so when Chris Rock came out, I was shooting with the six hundred. I was just shooting tight, right, just waist level stuff, expressive and things like that. And then all of a sudden, someone goes, "Hey, there he goes." I'm like, what? And I sort of like peer in between the two cameras, the Wimberly heads, because I couldn't see anything because it was just blocking my view. I see this figure walking up stage, and I thought maybe it was like um, like a stage manager or someone going up. Sure. Right? And then I refer someone say, hey, isn't that Will Smith? And I'm like, what? And at that point, um, so I'm going from the 600 to the 400, and then like mid-movement, I see Will Smith's arm go up. I'm like, what's he going to do? And I'm still not on the camera yet. I just like just grab the shutter on the the shorter camera. And I just started firing, and then you see here this kind of like like slapping, you know, the arm moving. Right. I'm like, oh my god! And I just kind of shot it blind, right? 
And so I'm thinking, oh my God, did I miss it? And it was like the most anxiety inducing like time ever. You know, wow. it's one of those things where like, you know, you don't want to miss it. And I looked at my image and I got the follow through. So I kind of like partially missed it, but I saw the follow through and the, you know, the facial expression yeah. of just Chris's getting smashed and... and the body language. So that still worked out. And we got that out on, you know, um, out there. The editors got it and they got it out on the wires and, you know, sent it out. So I think we're like maybe one of the first to put it out. So um, whenever like a, a Google alert shows up, it's always like with my name and like that picture. And I'm thinking, man, is that, you know, issue still ongoing? Did Did you hear the jokes and get a sense of what was going to happen? I heard the jokes, right? And I thought, you know what? Yeah, they make jokes about that all the time. But sure. I, but I didn't know it was going to lead to something like this. And I'm sure no one did. But it was crazy because after the slap happened, we, all of us, there was like nine of us in the uh, projection booth shooting at all the di you know, different agencies, right? And and we were just going, it's like, we're like, hey, is that part of the gag? And, you know, it's like, is this part of the program? And like no one knew for sure at that time. And the theater got really quiet. Okay. And then... Will Smith walked back to a seat and sat down and, you know, Chris Rock standing there and we thought, Hey, this is all just, you know, part of the, the skit of whatever's going on. And we didn't know it was until when Will Smith started, you know, shouting, yelling at him, like, you know, keep my, you know, last yeah. name out of your mouth. And then, and especially when, after he dropped the F bomb, when he said, you know, keep my wife's name out of your effing mouth. That's when we realized, oh, my God, maybe this thing was real and it's serious. And the theater just got just like dead, you know. Just, and you just, feel the pressure. Yeah, you can feel you can feel it's sort of like that, just that negative vibe, the mood change, you know, and just how all of a sudden just kind of got sort of dark and dreary at that point. It was just a really weird experience. Did, did the mood ever change or were you kind of waiting like, are they going to take him off? Are they going to, is Chris going to do something? Is he going to say anything? Yeah. Uh, well, they, after that, they went into what was like, um, what was the, like the last award or something like the best, was the best picture or best actor? Well, like an world. hour, like, yeah, an hour later he wins. Yeah. So, I mean, that's so weird that he's even there and not being in cuffs right yeah. off stage. The whole thing was crazy because after that had happened, Shortly thereafter, they went to, like, commercial, right? And then um, Will Smith was walking around. Other actors were, you know, up with him, like, kind of, like, talking to him and, you know, uh, talking with Will Smith in the audience. So, we're, you know, we're all shooting stuff of that. We're just, sh just shooting everything that was happening there. Now, see, and now, just really what's, weird. this is the technical question. What's that exposure? Because when you're on the stage, it's a great exposure. Well, I'm no, on the stage, on the stage, okay, I'm shooting... ISO 6400, like 320 at F4, I think. Okay. Or thereabouts. All right. Um, and then down in the... Um, the pit, the that pit, area. That pit, yeah. I think it's like, I was like ISO maybe 12,000 or something. Right. But the, the mirrorless cameras, actually, they, they handle that low light level really, really well. Okay. Uh, I was, yeah, I was everybody's wearing black. Yeah. It's dark. Because I was shooting... With an R3, the Canon R3 and an R5, I think. I think it was those two cameras. Okay. But uh, either way, you know, the uh, low light level capabilities on those cameras are great. Just fantastic. Did you think at any time someone was going to get pulled off the stage or out of there? Like, what was the, I mean, you had to have, have a sense you just watched just two guys or one guy go at another. Were you thinking like, oh my God, like we're going to watch an arrest or? 
well, we thought, yeah, maybe like, um, you know, someone from the academy was going to like, you know, escort him, escort out, him yeah. out. And then the weirdest thing is he ends up with a <laughs> best actor <laughs> Oscar. I mean, it was just a bizarre yeah. evening. I'm not all of it, just from that point on, it was just totally bizarre the way it was handled too. So you're like, wait, what's going on here? You know, how did they, how did they even end it? Like there was, there was there no, nothing said and everybody's kind of like turn a blind eye to it. At that time, I think everyone just sort of, they didn't know what to do exactly. They're probably still struggling with what do we do here? You know, I'm sure nothing like that has ever happened before. Never. So, so they didn't know what the protocol was, right? And everyone is, you know, everyone back at home and everyone after after the fact, they're saying, well, Will Smith should have been arrested and he probably should have, but no one knew exactly what to do at that point. Right. I mean, so... It, it was just a very, it was a strange evening. Wow, that was crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was one of those things for me, I consider it was like a, I missed, but it was a lucky mistake. It was, I didn't miss it completely. I missed enough, but it was still a good picture that it worked, you know? And it was just one of those things where it was just, you know, horrific, horrible thought that if I just totally missed it, it would have been just really, really bad. I Who think. would have thought working the balcony would be so important and yeah, crazy? Yeah, yeah. Normally it's very straightforward. You shoot this, shoot the host. Yeah, I mean it was, the, it was the first time I was shooting the the show, and you know I was enjoying it. You get to see a lot of the the you know the scene and dancing and the program that's yeah. going on, uh, different than shooting the arrivals. And then you know some some dude gets smacked, and you're like, wait, is this for real? <laughs> so, this is how the Oscars is yeah, inside. So, <laughs> So yeah, in in my all my professional career, just being witness to all these weird events, you know, that sort of happened throughout. Um, that's it's been kind of interesting. Yeah, that's got to be up in your top ten. It's I mean it's I don't really talk about it because it's one of those things where, you know, eight other photographers all yeah, got the right. same picture, and some got actually better pictures too, like you know, with the arm closer like the full swing right no one got like hand on face contact but you know others had just you know a greater series sequences of this you know um, the slap happening yeah so but you were there but i was there and you know i got something it's so that was usable and it was and it was widely published i think and it ended up even like in people magazine or something oh yeah it was everywhere i showed that to my parents oh that <laughs> your parents is between trophies and all magazines those, you know, and... all the clippings that they hang on to you know there must be a shrine over there's there. a shrine yeah with a lock of my hair and a candle <laughs> Do you still get fired up taking pictures? I I do. I enjoy it when I'm doing it, but I'm at a point in my life where I also enjoy not doing it. I, I enjoy my time away. You know, I think I've got to the point in my life where I've done enough, and I think I've done enough where I can enjoy not doing that. I don't have to think about it all the time, you know. Okay. Um, I'm on vacation now, and like for the past week and a half right now, I have not touched the camera. You know, I've been busy with other stuff. I've been doing some woodworking stuff. I had to fix a faucet. <laughs> I mean, just other things in my life, you know what? And it's been very nice. It's been rewarding. So for me, I think it's also important that you do find some kind of a balance between work and life. And for me, you know, it's just uh, my life has always been my work. And for a long time, my work has always been my life. And now, yeah. and now I am starting to appreciate the kind of like that separation, you know, 
Right. Yeah, I mean, it does. It what we do does take a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it a does. lot out of us. Sharing other people's lives, capturing them, trying to put them together. I mean, it's you know, it's it's physically demanding too. With all the gear, sometimes you have to carry. Like if you're you know doing a studio shoot, it's all the gear you got to carry. Um, you know, physically being like hiking a mountain, be there. Um, Can you imagine em- emotionally too, psychologically? Sure. Just because there's all that pressure you put on yourself to be creative, and you're like. Is this good enough? Oh my God, this isn't good enough. And you're like, you're you're hard on yourself. You're like smacking yourself in the head, going, you know, why didn't I do this before? Yeah, this all the way. So there's all of that, um, you know, going on. Um, so it's just it's physically just kind of tough. What gear? What job. gear are you using now? I still have two Canon five D Mark fours. Right, that's we're, your yeah, that's your go to. Yeah, I think we're waiting for um, like uh, to switch those out for mirrorless cameras. Okay. Some R threes or something. Yeah, I think R threes, R fives, or something like that. Can you? Imagine? And then also, um, I have my uh, little Sony RX RX one hundred point shoot. No, I do a lot with that. I have the iPhone thirteen, which I use for some uh, summits. Uh, I did a street takeover thing back in August. Right. Yeah. Uh, in Compton, I shot that with my iPhone thirteen because I didn't want to stand out like a, like a narc or. Whoa! Know, right. Out. Yeah, you just looked like some old guy standing there taking pictures of the car doing circles. But someone still thought I was a narc because I was like the only middle guy out, middle aged guy out there. You know. Right. Twelve thirty in Compton. Well, how did that go covering that? Were you kind of worried because you're in the a, middle of? Yeah, a little. I mean, a little bit. You only and need yes, one 20-year-old to get a little squirrely on y- you. Yeah, yes and no. So, um, you know, I was out there. <laughs> the story was I ended up having to hang out in Compton, the South LA, in the middle of the night yeah, to that, shoot a street takeover. That's fun. Because of a scheduling mix-up, because of a scheduling error, I was supposed to shoot the Rams-Chargers preseason game, <laughs> but there was a scheduling mix-up. They're like, hey, we're going to have you do this instead. I'm like, What? <laughs> Jesus. So, so I went from for a Rams game to like shooting street takeover. So I was working with a reporter. He was like on he had a list of like like common places of places where it happened, right? Okay. So I would check out like the uh west side of Compton. He would check out the east side and like the different locations, we kind of drive around, you know, and text each other. Is there anything happening? No, it's quiet here, it's quiet there. And then I got this out. It's midnight, probably. Well, I got up. We got out there around 11. But it's, it's, it's still pretty early because a lot of it doesn't happen until like after midnight. Yeah. And so around 12 20, I'm over there in West Compton that he messages. I get a text and it says, you know, Atlantic in Compton. And I go, okay. So I just point the car and I head over in that direction. And, you know, even at night, it takes forever because of all the signal lights. They're not synced. So you're, st- <laughs> you're hitting like every red light. You know, at twelve thirty in company, like Jesus, what's wrong with the city? <laughs> and then, no. like, so it takes like fifteen minutes to get there. I'm thinking, oh man, it's over, right? So I pull over and I go. I still see the crowd. I'm go. Oh, this is a good sign. So I just ditch the car, block away, and get out with my phone. And I just start running up the street, and I can hear the cars going. I'm going. Oh, they're still going. And the smoke. And so I'm just running up there. And I'm going. Please, just keep going. What when I show up? And so I work my way to the front, and they're just, you know, just doing all the drifting and stuff. I'm taking pictures and just shooting every frame, right? And um, I shot it with um, with an app on the iPhone that allows you to, you know, shoot in, in RAW. And it also lets you control the shutter speed, which is very important. So I was shooting like, like 1 one twenty fifth with the phone because of all the movement and stuff, mm-hmm. right? And it was like all street light. And, you know, surprisingly, the pictures turned out well. And I just shot for maybe like 20 minutes and, you know, um, I kept shooting until I thought I had something. Because a lot of it was just sort of drifting, but didn't really capture it. Kind of like a story. Sort of sure. 
And then it finally did. There's this, you know, a series of frames where one of them, there's the girls like leaning out of the car with their arms out like this. There's smoke, and like green lasers sort of like pointed in their direction. So it, that visually, it just kind of captured the mood and essence of the story. So I was happy. And then I walked back to get my drone, um, you know, so I can do some night photos or the uh, aerial photos, right? And as I was walking out, one of the drivers, he's like, it's young drivers, he looks up at me and he goes, hello, officer. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like looking at him and going, wait a minute, come on, you think I'm a cop, really? You know, I'm, I'm the only middle-aged guy out there. Why are you there? Why are you there? Exactly. You are you the are. closest subject, you know, that you, we could pick out yeah, of Yeah, you. you are a narc. How many tattoos you got there, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's your handle, huh? <laughs> that was funny. And then I, when I got to the car, short, like a few minutes later, cop cars, three sheriff's cars with lights on came up the street. So they probably thought I was a cop and I called them. <laughs> Great. And then I go, hey, you know what? Forget the drone. It's time to go home now. Yeah, time to go. <laughs> you, I mean, you did that, but you also did the, the was it the 4th Street Bridge takeover? The 6th Street. 6th Street But not, not the takeover. I did some aerial photos of afterwards of like the, the tire marks. And the, the aftermath? Yeah, yeah, the aftermath of it. Well, are you the... Uh, the the street guy it's of of disasters and no I mean you know I like cars and motorcycles <laughs> so they figure hey anything that's cars and motorcycle related just give it send to him. out to the narc so you get to send it out to the narc <laughs> you get your crown vic with those little side mirrors and you can shoot lights and fit yep. right in yep oh Jesus is there are there any stories you you want to do moving forward. You know, it's it's hard to say because I enjoy everything, you know, right now. So it's um, like what really, I mean, if I had to pick an area, it would be something science related, I think. Really? You know, yeah. If it's something, some kind of science related story. Slow and kind of interesting. Just, yeah, interesting. I don't, I can't pinpoint exactly, right. but it would have to be something science field, either obviously, you know, either climate change related or geology or physics you know, right. Have you ever space, had... the space program? What's going on with the space? Well, for me, that just well, that's what I was going to say. You, you spent some time with the Navy. What about the, the new space program? I would, I, would, up... I would hang out with those. I would love to hang out with those JPL NASA guys. You know, and just uh, chat about you know other um, like Mars programs and just all these other other programs that are going. Right. It's just really really cool. Hang out with the Mars rovers and all that stuff. Or like even, you know, like even them as they're like prepping some of the stuff together. But anything science related for me is just um, really into. I, I dig it. If you didn't become a photographer, what would you have done? That's hard to say, really. I don't know. Because. Um, Doctor? At, lawyer? No. No there's, <laughs> no, there's too much studying involved. Are you kidding? There's too much reading. I know two people that would really would have appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. No. But, you know, it's, it's hard to say because, well, at the very beginning of this, I said, I, you know, I thought I might join the military, right? I don't know. Um, it could, I could have been in the military. Uh, I what could have been in something in the science field. But not, not an engineer. As much as I love engineering, I don't think I could have been an engineer because there's just too much studying involved. And right. for me, I, studying, and I don't agree. <laughs> not, 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 no. not together. Cla yeah, classroom, classrooms and books and stuff, I, I doesn't agree with me. What about in the one of the services, doing what you do now in the service and covering them 
from like their standpoint. Oh, even like combat cameras yeah. like that? That would have been kind of cool because there have been very, very successful photographers who were combat camera in, in the military. Oh, yeah. There's some great yeah. work being done with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't get them on because they, they're not, while yeah. they're still active, they can't yeah. do media. But I've communicated them on, on Instagram and they're doing some unbelievable yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Holy crap. There's a guy right now, he's the University of Tennessee photographer for the university he's a former marine for 20 years and now he's the three-time university photographer of the year the guy's outstanding as i yeah it's it's hard for me to say what i want to do because when i was 18 i had to make that choice i didn't know what i wanted to do and all i've known so far is photography and i've i've loved it i've enjoyed it it's been very good to me and this is all i know so it's hard to say Right. I don't know. Maybe a cop and bust, <laughs> and bust those street takeovers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right there. I was right there. Oh, God. When was the last time you were bullied? Bullied? Yeah. Oh, a long time ago. Okay. Thank, thank goodness. Good. Thank goodness. Good. Well, you haven't gotten bullied in this podcast, so I, I'm, I'm happy that. Well, got... thank you. It was very, it was very comfortable. <laughs> It's a safe space here. But it's a different story when the mics turn off. Oh, yeah. Things are going to start flying, mister. I can't thank you enough. This has been unbelievable. Well, thank you, Matt. This is great. I learned all kinds of cool stuff. Well, now that we did this, that was a good rehearsal. Cause should we do this for real now? Absolutely. Not. Okay. Right. right okay, you, want, we you, eat you, you want to hit record and we'll do this for real? Well, I have it on pause record. So okay. it's just like the Zoom recorder. It's got the worst button function ever. You got to hit it twice, twice to record. record. Oh, oh, how many, how many times, times yeah. has that bit you in the ass? Yeah. yeah Once yeah, and yeah. you never do it again. Yep. Oh, it's the worst. Oh, look, it's recording. It's red. <laughs> no, that's red pause. Mm, yeah. What the hell does red pause mean? Yeah. That means it was designed by, by an engineer who has <laughs> never used the product. <laughs> He's never been ever on the field. It's never been field tested is what that's. Never. That's, uh, it's a safety lock function mm-hmm. button. They want to know when they record for sure, they hit it twice. Like brakes or car keys? Like brakes. <laughs> Hit it twice to make sure you brake properly. <laughs> Thank you. This has been great. Thank you. It's been you, a lot of fun. You're the I've best. Enjoyed. How often do I get to sit down with a national Emmy winner? <laughs> I don't know. How many times? Never, because they've all been regional. Ah. <laughs> They're all <laughs> minor league stuff. No, no. This is a professional no, here. No, no, How many more years you got in you? Realistically? Yes. Well, Okay, I'm 57, right? So it's 10 years on the outside, eight years on the near side. Okay. Or or if I win the lotto next week, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Give them two weeks. I don't give, be I that guy. Weeks, I'll give them two weeks. Yeah. No, you know what I would do if I won the lotto? I would stick around and complain about every single <laughs> assignment. <laughs> You come back on the podcast and do the, yeah. the this is how it really this is. This is how it really is. <laughs> if they only knew. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you, you go drifting. I go drifting. Yeah. You could go to West Compton on a yeah. Sunday night at 2.30 yeah. in the morning and just sit there. Yeah, but I, I think realistically maybe about eight years, like, you know, right around 65-ish, you know, okay. just, yeah, it's been good, but get it done and then get on with like the next chapter of my life, you know? Right. We need to start having a wood shop. A wood shop, man. Yeah. Like, uh, like uh, was it the Nick Offerman's character from Parks and Recs? Right. Like that guy. Absolutely. Uh, Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson. I'd love to have a little 
warehouse somewhere and have a workshop and just go and come make my own stuff and that's it yeah just yeah there's just i mean smell of sawdust you, well you know i'm getting old because like you know i enjoy that whole process of just kind of working with wood and creating things with your hand just taking things a little bit slower you know it's different so. that's how it should be yeah you're the best you ready to eat i am ready to eat let's eat let's do this thank right. you me young i appreciate it thanks man all right <laughs> Thank you for listening to part two of my conversation with Myung Chung. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember to follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram. And you can find all of our past shows at the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.